Well, I think you probably pretty impressed that two weeks in a row I have a handout. They're coming around now. Um, again, I still don't make any promises. You got one this week and be thankful for it. Okay. Um, it's kind of my goal sometimes. So I, I want to talk a little bit. I, I want you to think today about the pictures you saw. And one of the ways I want you to plan for 2024 is there's a, maybe you saw a lot of pictures up there that you weren't familiar with some of the things taking place. And the idea is that there are plenty of things for you to be involved in if you would like to um, plan for spiritual growth in the coming year. So that's kind of one of the goals. And now I have uh, I picked out this passage because I thought it would help us do two things. And one thing is to figure, look forward, um, have a, a view toward what happens after we spend all of our energy, all of our money, all of our resources through what we would call this life and what happens after we die and then how uh, our belief in the resurrection is supposed to impact the remainder of this time. Like we're moving through this life into the afterlife and the eternal life. And so how does that going to impact us? And this passage, I think, is a wonderful uh, passage to help us think through that. And that's going to affect how we spend the next 12 months is a lot of our value is what we, um, how we see the, the future. And that has a lot to do with how we invest the, the present time. So let me, uh, let me pray and then we're going to, uh, I want to point out about 10 things I think that come out of this passage. Father, we thank you that you are uh, present, that you speak, that you have given us the Word of God. Thank you that you're very interested in our lives. Thank you that you're um, our t a teacher and you want to teach us this morning that your Word is powerful and we want to experience that power today. We don't want it to just be like a dead book that seems boring and irrelevant, but we want it to be the living book that we know it to be. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open every heart, every mind, and that we would be attentive and be very interested in how this passage could impact our lives for eternity. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the just want to begin with the first thing I want to say is that uh, Christ and His love should be of greater value to you than all the world has to offer. I, I think that's why you're here. I think most of you would agree that you've at least theoretically, maybe we don't always live this out on a day-to-day -day basis, so that's kind of what I want to challenge you about. Christ and His love should be of greater value to you than all the world has to offer. In verse 7 to 9, it says, Whatever gain I had, and thinking about everything, everything that I've accumulated, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Uh, indeed, I count everything a loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So imagine if you um, stacked up everything that you had and you compared it to the offer of Christ, you would say, no, I choose, I choose Christ. That's what it's saying. That's the, the, it's real simple. And not only is it saying how much you've accumulated, it's saying everything that you could possibly accumulate still Christ would be more you might like saying well if I had more it might be a harder option like I don't have much if you had the whole world and compared to Christ if you had everything you could have ever imagine wanting in this world it would still be a better deal far better deal to choose Christ 
I think you would agree with me that the, um, some of the wealthiest people in the world are also some of the most miserable people in the world. You agree? You see that? You see people that have the, the nice house, the fancy cars. Most of them don't have, well, I'll put it this way. All of them that don't have Christ are, end up miserable. Some of them actually, the ones that know Christ and have much are also the ones who hold loosely to what they have. It's like, it's like nah, it's not my identity, my goal. They have a much larger goal. And sometimes God does bless people with much and he expects much. But the one thing that's a key to whether having much is detrimental to you is if it ever switch places with God. Like if God is first, then no matter how much you have or how little you have, God has to be above that. And if it ever flips, then the best thing God could ever do is take it from you. If your world begins to take your heart in a direction that you love this world more than you love God, the kindest act of God would be to take everything away from you and get you back on your face before the living God. And sometimes he does that. Have any of you ever experienced something? You, you went through and you lost something and you know the real reason was is because God wanted your heart back. You ever done that? Some, you lost something precious because it became an idol and it became more important than God himself. It is a mercy of God to take from you anything that supersedes your love for God, okay? And I'm so glad that God's the kind of father that would be willing to do that. Um, have you ever given your goals and possessions to God? And so I, in the first service, I want to do what I did there. I just, I want to ask you right now. And I just want to ask you if you've ever done that. If you've ever given your all, all your goals and your possessions to God. Um, everything. Uh, when, but when you become a Christian, I think you get it. When you first become a Christian, it's like, oh yeah, I give God everything. And then you become a Christian for a while and you start accumulating stuff. Like many of us were, were young. I was young when I became a Christian. I didn't have anything. Maybe a, a little bi a bicycle or something. Um, I didn't have much to give. I didn't have much to compare. All I knew is, hey, I'm lost, and if I die, I'm going to hell, and I need Jesus Christ more than I need anything in this world. But I had not yet attained much. So I was only 15 when I became a Christian. And over the years, I've accumulated things. And the Lord God says, will you still lay that down for me? Will you still, am I still first in your heart? So I just want to pause here for just a moment. And I want you to think about what you've accumulated. And for some of you, it's, it's a lot. It's a, you have a, some of you have a lot more than you did when you first became a Christian. And it's a good checkpoint for you. Just simply say, Lord God, I, I want to make sure, I want to make this clear. I still lay all this down before you. So can, can you take just a moment and let's, let's pray. You pray silent to God and just say, Lord God, I just want you to know, Lord, I still love you and value you more than all the stuff I've accumulated or even the stuff I'm trying to accumulate. I still want you first. Can, can you just make that prayer?
Um, I, I trust it wasn't a real complicated prayer. But can, can I wonder, is that not liberating? Is that not freeing to remind yourself, Lord, I do love you more than all the world. Is it not easy to get sideways here? And it should, it should have been a liberating prayer. Now, maybe there were a few like going, man, I'm so into my career. I'm so into my kids. I'm so into... It could be that for some of you, it was a struggle. But if you got there, and if not today, if not now, then get there. Don't, don't let go of this thought. Come back to this, okay? But here's where it's liberating. Whew, what a load. Just to say, Lord God, I am yours. This is back to Christianity 101. This is like the first thing I did when I became a Christian. I said, Lord God, me and all my stuff were yours. And sometimes we lose that simplicity along the way. So I hope maybe just that first simple thing we did today just kind of helped you be free from the burden of trying to attain a lot in this world, knowing full well that you're not going to take any of it with you. And you spend your whole life trying to accumulate for stuff you're going to lose. So maybe this helped you get back on track. Okay, number two. His eternal worth is greater than anything you might have to endure in this life. So he's worth more than anything you might attain. He's worth anything you might have to go through. Isn't that good to know? Have any of you been through some stuff? Isn't it good to know that going, if you had to choose between an easy life um, without any affliction and you could invest in this world, which would be comfortable and fun and easy and a, and a world of trials, but you get Christ at the end, which would you choose? I'll choose Christ. That's, that's, if you're a Christian, you're like, oh, no, I, I choose Christ. And I want to encourage you. Because some of you are going through some stuff. And I'm going to ask you to trust God. He knows what He's doing. And He may or He may not choose to remove a particular affliction, but it's His call. He knows what's best. And that's what I want you to think about. It says, For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. Like gaining Christ is worth anything I have to go through to get there. That's what the gospel is saying. It's like, yeah, it's hard. No, it's not always easy. And matter of fact, it's rarely easy. So many people have given up the pursuit of wealth, comfort, success, because it conflicted with their greater desire to have God in their lives. Some people have had wonderful opportunities that they've simply laid aside because I said, I think that's going to become a conflict in my walk with God, and I don't want to do that, and they lay it down. Instead of choosing wealth, fame, sweet deals along the way, um, cheating, whatever, whatever it is, pleasures. And then some people have had to go through some really difficult times for, because of their faith in God. Like choosing Christ can cost you. It might cost you some friends. It's cost people families. It's cost people jobs, uh, raises, advancement. It's cost people a lot of things. And they're like going, no, no, I, I would choose Christ over and over and over again because he's more valuable than that, than what I have to go through. Okay, so um, I would say 
that it really boils down to just leaving that into God's hands, okay? You just leave that in His hands. Can I, again, I just want to take the, um, I want to encourage you again if you're going through something. Let's just say that you have a physical affliction and you're like praying like, Lord God, I don't know that I can take anymore. And we get there. Sometimes the person is saying, I'm in debt and man, I can't find the answer to it. Or maybe some of you are, had gone through a great loss or maybe you had a dream that you were hoping for and it's an affliction. Like you have something, you go, Lord, it just seems so right that I would get this that other people get. Like maybe you want to be married or maybe you want to have a kid or maybe you um, lost a child or maybe you had something go on and you, for the life of you, you can't figure out why it was good and even can make you, if you're not careful, angry at God or bitter at God and trusting that God knows best with your affliction is when you come back and say, Lord God, I don't fully understand all your purposes in this, but I know you're good. If you want to take it away, Lord, please do. But even if you don't, I know you're good and I'm not wavering on that. I'm going to hold on to you. And that's the beauty of letting God navigate your life. It's, it's a lie from Satan that tells Christians that everything's supposed to go well, all your answers prayer is supposed to turn out. And what happens is Satan loves that theology. There's a, the health, wealth, and prosperity theology that says if you're walking with God, everything's good. You're always healthy. You always get cured. That's a very dangerous and ungodly theology because something that God planned for your good, you flip it on its head and it makes you, the devil's going, God doesn't love you because he's not healed you yet or he's not done this. And it's actually defeats and makes you question the love of God or question your walk with God. And God may have you right where you are, just like Job or he's taking you through something and you start figuring out that it was in that moment when you were in your deepest, darkest place that you learned to love God at a level that you never thought you could. That he was with you, he met you there and he was, he was good to you. And so let God determine what lessons you need. Okay, he's a very good teacher. And he is the one who knows how to build your faith. And I promise you, you will not grow in your faith without dark days. The people who are strongest in their faith are generally those who've been the deepest in their hurts and afflictions. So be careful when you say, Lord, make me a strong man or woman of faith. Because trials will come. Because that's the only way God does. Through the fire of trials comes the purity of faith. And so don't let anyone tell you that if you're going through hard stuff, God must have forsaken you. God will use dark things for two reasons. He'll use one to turn your faith back to God. Like let's just say that you're chasing something and he takes it away and you go through affliction. But both ways his goal, the other way he'll use it is to um, deep in your faith, but both ways, the, both, the way out in both instances is bef on your face before God. And that's um, important, okay? So number three, Christ is willing to give you His righteousness by faith. Um, we're we're going to pause here a second because this is just way too big. Do you, I, 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 I was kind of monotone when I read it. So I'm not sure that you got the enormity of this. Did you hear what I just said? Did, did y'all hear what I just said? 
Did you hear what I just said? Yes, someone said yes. I just said that Christ is willing to give you his righteousness. Do you know how unrighteous you are? And do you know how righteous he is? Can you fathom that Christ is willing? He's not only willing, he's desirous. He wants to give you his righteousness. You know how valuable the righteousness of Christ is? It's so valuable that God rose, raised him from the dead on the basis of his righteousness. That Jesus Christ was so righteous that death could not defeat him. That Jesus Christ is so righteous that every unrighteous deed that you've ever met, you've ever done, could be met through the righteousness of Christ. Do you know how unrighteous you are? You have no basis whatsoever to stand before God and claim one ounce, one ounce of good deeds. All your righteousness is like filthy rags before God. Everything you might pretend to offer up to God is discounted. There is none righteous. No, not one is what the Bible teaches. And Christ says, here's my righteousness. Let me, let me tell you how righteous Jesus is. Um, Jesus is completely righteous. And if you study this book and you took every commandment ever put in this book and measure any person by it, everyone would fail miserably, repeatedly, and constantly. You would score, it's not that we score a 65 or whatever failing is. When I was in school, it was like 69. I don't know what it is now. It might be a three. I don't know what it is. I just know whatever failing is, we not only fail, we make a zero. That's what the Sermon on the Mount teaches you. It's not just that you fail and like, darn, I nearly made it. It's like, not only do you make a zero, let me rephrase that. Let's, you know, you don't even make a zero. You're, ne you're in the negative. You owe. You not only do you not score anything, you owe, you're in debt. That's the teaching of the Bible. And Jesus says, you debtor, I love you. And I give my righteousness for you. I'm coming into this world to be righteous. I have to fulfill every command of everything you ever didn't do. And so I will, I will show you what righteousness looks like. And he had people watching to try to catch him doing anything unrighteousness and they couldn't come up with one thing. So that when Jesus died on the cross as a substitute for sin, the father said, my son is perfectly righteous. But just before as Jesus was on the cross, this transference took place. And the perfect righteous Jesus says, I take the sin of the world upon me. And in that moment, Jesus became our unrighteousness. The righteous Jesus took our unrighteousness and therefore God had to enact his own wrath upon the Son of God. The perfect righteous Son of God took appropriated to Jesus was our sin, took on him, and Jesus stayed on that cross until the wrath of God was poured out on him. And that's when Jesus was saying, do you see how righteous I am? And then an instant, when our unrighteousness was on him, the Father said, I can't look at you because all I see is the unrighteousness that you have willingly taken on yourself. And in that instance, the wrath of God was poured out. The wrath of man 
was already being poured out. The wrath of man was on the cross, the whips, the beating. But the wrath of God came and Jesus had to face and pay the penalty of eternal death. And to show you how righteous Jesus was, and three days later he rose from the dead. He was so righteousness. He was so righteousness that all the righteousness of our sin could not keep him in the ground. His righteousness was more powerful than our unrighteousness. And he rose from the dead. And Christ is willing to give you that by faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I will, I will give me. And may I just say something? Um, can I say this as politely as I know how? Don't you dare offer your righteousness to Jesus Christ on the day of judgment. Don't you ever stand up there and say, I went to church a lot, I did this, I gave money. Don't you dare pollute the righteousness of Jesus and add, try to add something to it. That is blasphemous. That's saying, Lord God, you know, I forget, I don't know that you fully know this, but your righteousness wasn't enough, so I added a few things. When you stand before God, you don't ever say, I went to church, I did this, I tithed, I gave money, I did missions. Don't you dare pollute the perfect righteousness of Christ with your offerings. It's like, Lord God, I have no hope other than the righteousness. When you stand before God, you stand beside, under, along with the righteousness of Jesus. And Jesus says, if you will put your faith in me, by faith I give you my righteousness and don't ever claim or boast anything else when you stand before God and say, Lord God, and the Father says, why should I let you into heaven? It's like, well, I went to church and I memorized Bible verses. Get that out of here. Pharisees did all that. Get that out of here. All you do is say, Lord God, I am unworthy. It's the righteousness of your son is my only hope. That's all I believe in. I believe in his righteousness, not mine. And the father says, that pleases me. That pleases me. Okay, so number four, like him, you will rise from the dead. If you have his righteousness, if you're going to hold on to him for his righteousness, as you hold on, he's going to drag you right up on into heaven. I, like a baptism is like this. Before you go under the baptism, it's like um, you're saying, hey, Lord, um, I'm, I'm dirty. Will you wash me? what a baptism hey Lord I've, I'm, I'm really dirty will you wash me and he says yes I will but you're gonna have to die he says okay but I'm dying with you I'm not just dying myself I'm not just gonna I'm dying I'm holding on to you if you want to take me into death I'll hold on to you and hold on to Christ and he puts you under and then guess what he does he brings you right back up if you go with Christ, you not only go down with Him, you come back up with Him. If you go into His death and recognize His death, that Christ, the Son of God, died for you, you can hold on to Him, you go down into His death, and you come back up. And a large percentage of those people that I have baptized have come back up. <laughs> a very large percentage, like 100%. Therefore, 100% of people that go down with Jesus in His death come up. 100% of the people that hold on to Christ and say, I am holding on to Christ who died for my sin. They hold on. 100% come up. So 100% of people who commit to Christ not only go to death, they go through death because they are still holding on to Christ and they go all the way straight on through it. 
and they rise. And so the hope of the resurrection, for your hope of your resurrection is the same hope of the righteousness of Christ. If you're hoping in Christ's righteousness, I guarantee you, you will rise with Christ because you're holding on to Christ and His righteousness and you ain't letting go and He takes you under and up. That's the basis of our hope of the resurrection. That is the basis of the Christian faith. The Christian faith is built upon the resurrection that Jesus rose and I'm united to Christ. That's what a Christian becomes, one who is united to Christ. I'm united to Christ by faith. And I just hold on to Him from here on. I ain't letting go. That's what it is. I'm not letting go. I'm holding on to Jesus Christ. Okay? And so... Like Him you will rise from the dead, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in death, that by any means I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So how are you going to attain the resurrection of the dead? By holding on to Jesus. That's what you got to do. You got to hold on to Jesus. And to hold on to Jesus, you got to let go of what you're holding on to. Holding on to Jesus is not a one-handed thing. You can't hold on to the world and Jesus. It's a two-handed thing. It's all in. It's this. It's a hug. I'm holding on to Jesus. I'm going under and I'm coming back up. But you got to go under. You got to die to self. You got to let go of everything you're holding. You got to die to self. You hold on to Jesus. He takes you under and guaranteed He'll bring you up. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that the simplicity of the gospel? That's what Jesus wants to do for you. And then He'll give you the courage to live boldly for Him. Boldness comes because you know where you're going. You have confidence. Boldness in the Christian life is an act of courage and confidence in Christ. It's not self-confidence. It's not, I ain't afraid of nothing. I, mean, I think those little things, no fear, used to be real popular. I don't know if they still are. They're cool, but they're stupid. They really are. It's like, I'm, so, I'm not afraid. I ain't afraid of nothing. I say, well, you're the stupidest person I ever met. Because you better be afraid of God. The Bible says the fear of God is the smartest thing you can ever do. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So there's one you ought to fear. I think it was Martin Luther or someone said, if you fear God, you need not fear anything else. If you have a fear of God and awe of God and a right standing with God, then you don't have to be afraid of anything else. And so if you have a fear of God but brings you into a right relationship with God, you don't have to fear anything else, even death. Like, I know where I'm going. And so the courage to live boldly for God comes by being aligned with God in union with Christ, knowing you're going to rise from the dead, knowing whatever this world may come, whatever may come in this world, the outcome is that you're going to heaven to be with Jesus Christ. And it gives you confidence to live boldly for God. So the stronger your hold to Christ, the stronger your belief in Christ's resurrection, the stronger your understanding that on the basis of what Christ has done is your eternal hope of salvation, then the more freely you can live in this world. It's like, Lord God, come what may, I trust you. It's like, I'm yours. I know where I'm going. And it creates a confidence to do things that you never thought you would be capable of doing. Um, some of you have heard of the voice of the martyrs. And some of you have heard of um, Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's an old book about it's, hist it's a history of many people that were martyred for their faith. You read Revelation and there's a group of people in there referred to as the martyrs, those who prevailed. They lay down their life and they did things that they pro themselves probably th wouldn't have thought they could do. And you remember, um, uh, oh, what's her name? Cassie. Um, I don't remember. I just called her. Uh, someone help me out. What am I looking for? Come on, read my mind. 
Okay, Cassie of Columbine. You remember Columbine? Columbine and that the girl named Cassie, and she she we're to, she's a teenager, folks. If you're young in here, you can be bold for your faith if you know where you're going with God. And she didn't wake up that day going, I am not afraid of anything. She didn't go into school going, you have no fear. She walked into school and she laid down her life because someone challenged her and told her, you either renounce Christ or die. And she said, I'm all in with Christ. She's like a middle schooler. And she had that much faith in God. You know why? Because she had placed her, she saw in the righteousness of Christ at her young age, unbelievable courage. And she faced death. Was she afraid? You bet she was afraid. I guarantee you she was. But was she wavering? Her, even in the face of fear, she still clung to Christ. And the world is full of people who are doing that right now. There are people all over the world today who are willing to do this right now. And the, the day may come where you need to do that. And the question isn't, will you be bold enough? I, I think that's the wrong question. A better question is, is Christ going to hold on to you even when your faith is weak? You don't have to be some big hero and macho Christian. All you have to do is say, yes, Lord, I'm afraid, but I'm clinging to you. And he will give you boldness and faith in the hour of need. He doesn't do it ahead of time. You know, people who are so cocky and say, oh, I'd never deny Christ. Remember that guy, Peter? He got cocky and he got um, weak and he, he fell on his face because he thought, I don't need Jesus to do this. But people have found immeasurable courage when they admit their fear and weakness and they cling not to their own strength, but they look to the strength of God and say, Lord God, I'm terrified. Will you walk me through this? And he gives them unbelievable grace in the hour of need. Okay. This will change how you live now, knowing that. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, straining toward what lies ahead, I press toward the goal. You need to work really hard. This is number seven, to be careful not to get distracted from the ultimate prize of Christ. Like distraction, distraction, distraction. Distraction, distraction, distraction. This thing has the potential to ruin your life. Has the potential. I didn't say necessarily. I'm not saying all cell phones are bad. I got one. And there's a lot of good that can come. But this thing could destroy your life. And so could anything else. I hate to say it, but so could chocolate. So could a girl. So could a guy. So could a job. Um, a, a theologian... Um, name R.C. Sproul used to say that human beings are idolatrum factorum. We're idol factories. We can turn anything into idol. We're so good at it. We can make an idol out of anything. Anything that we begin to crave and lust for and love, we can turn it into an idol. We're like an idol factory. You show me something, my heart and my affection sets on it, and I'm in danger of turning that thing into an idol. So be careful not to get distracted from the ultimate price, prize of Christ. Number eight, recognize that what you crave says a lot about where you're going. Do you crave the things of God? Do you love God? Do you want to serve God, know God? Where do you spend your time, your energy, money? What do you think about all day? What do you talk about all day? What do you look forward to all day? And that says a lot about what is your greatest love 
And it ought to be a, a wake up to go, man, I really don't think about God like I should. Lord God, will you fill my heart? Will you come into my heart more? Will you help me to be more focused on you? Will you help me to talk about you more? I'm going to seek you more. Will you help me, Lord? I'll admit my heart loves this world. I love this, 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 and this. Lord, show me the things that are a threat to your supremacy in my life and help me to discover I'm open. Will you teach me? And he will. And then the most incredible transportation uh, transformation will take place when you get to heaven. So keep in mind that you're not nearly what you're going to be. Praise God. Anyone glad about that? I mean, some of you may think like I am, I, I don't know that I could be improved. And some of you may feel that sometimes we act that way. We act like that when with other people. It's like, thank God that we're not what we're going to be. You're glad of that? Like, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I don't want to live with this the rest of forever. I wouldn't go with, I don't want to go into eternity, the only one that's still like I used to be. I want to be, I want to be, I want to be fixed. I want every makeover, makeup, make, I want everything you got. Like, give me the works. You know, when I go to the car wash, sometimes I pick the cheap one because it's like, well, it's 12 bucks and the worst is not, the works is 20. I'll go to heaven, I want 20. I want the works. I want the wax, the wheels, the windows, the doors. Fix me, Jesus. I am like, I need everything you got. I want it all. And that gets me excited because that means that whatever it is that I'm looking for in this world is not it. It's not it. It's not even a $12. It's like you get a few drops of water in your car. You imagine going through the car wash with a dirty car and you get a few drops on it. It just goes bleep. And then you pay whatever and you drive out and it looks just like it did when you went in. I don't want to look like this forever. And that gets me excited about I want to change the way I want to live this life. Okay, and lastly, stay on course and carry out the mission. Okay, there's a lot in there, and I gave you notes, and so you, I'll listen. here was the deal. I don't know that you agreed to it, but I'm just telling you that you should, you should. I don't know that you agree, but if I make notes, you have to read them. Okay, that's the deal. If I go to the trouble to do this, you got to read them, and you got to look up the references. Okay, you got to look up the references. I put them in there for a reason. So you do that, and I'll keep doing the notes. If not, I quit. If you don't, I'm not going to, okay? We got a deal. So for those of you who come up to me and tell me you appreciate the notes, I'm going to say, so are you reading them? And is everybody else? Because you're responsible. All right. Okay, so here's the thing. In the coming year, yeah. How did I come up with Cassie? I even looked up Cassie of Columbine in the internet and it said to her. So praise God for Rachel Scott and, and Cat. You know, would you think I was talking about you? Oh, anyway, well, you're the only Cassie I know. So, all right. All right. Well, anyway. Okay, so here's the deal. In the coming year, I want you to think about this. And I want you to think about, are you connected with God? Are you connected with people who are connected with God? That's what connect means to us. Connecting with God and those who are connected with Christ. Are you, have you connected with Christ? Is that like important to you? On a regular basis, connecting, communicating. And then are you growing? And we've got a whole slate of things where you can grow. We've got a marriage conference. We have Bible studies. We have women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, life groups. Are you, are you, is this important to you? And are you, are you connecting? And then are you, um, are you ready to serve? And that, the word 
connect, grow, go. The word go means go and serve is what it really means. Go and serve. Be part of the Great Commission. And I gave an analogy and someone told me they like it, so I'm going to say it again. Um, I thought of it when I was preaching and someone said, I like that. And so I, I said, okay, so it's like, um, how many, have any of you ever run over a skunk? Okay, if you run over the skunk, the stick, you leave the skunk back there, but the stink will stick with you for uh, your car for, I don't know, two to three weeks. And still people smell up and go, but you pull up in their driveway and go, man, I smell a skunk. And you know, church is like that. You'll go, you go to church once a week and it'll stick with you for a few days. And then it'll wear off. And so I just want to challenge you, if you want to carry the savor of Christ, you can't just run over a skunk. You can't just go to church occasionally. It's like much more involved in that. And if you do, then you will carry the savor of Christ with you. And that's what, those are the opportunities you're given in the coming in this coming year. Okay, so we talked about the righteousness of Christ. Um, we've talked about that's the basis for the resurrection and the hope. And the fact that we're going to rise from the dead makes a profound impact the way, the way we view this world. And that what we're really aiming for, this world is short, but we have this little window to invest in eternity. It changes the way we're going to live this little slice of time, okay? And that's our, really our vision for 2024. I'm, no, I'm not going to spend eternity like I am. And I want to focus on that more. I want to focus on what Christ is doing in my life and doing in this world. I don't want to get all caught up in the accumulation of possessions and titles. Okay, and let me just close in saying this. If, you, if you're here and you've been uncertain about the gospel, maybe you thought the gospel was in Jesus and do good things, and maybe I'll get in. Eliminate the second part. Stop trying to be a good person and get right with God. Stop trying to be righteous. You'll never get there. And trust in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, and you'll never miss getting there. The righteousness of Jesus is what you need, and He's offering it to you. Will you take it? You want to be a Christian? Take the righteousness of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You this day that Your righteousness is there for us, and You died to give it to us. And thank You that Your righteousness is powerful enough to carry us through death, and that we will rise and that one day you'll perfect us and transform us completely and we'll be like Jesus. And may that change the way we live in 2024. In Jesus' name, amen.